Great to have you here. We're closing out this relationship series today, and I thought definitely no greater way to close it out than with my bride. We usually do this every year. At some point in the relationship series, I always try to give, uh, bring a woman's perspective into the conversation and let you see a little bit of her side and, and really hopefully speak not only to women, but also to men from, uh, from her perspective. And so we're going to kind of tag team this thing together. And if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about kind of two goals already, relationship goals. First one was being Christ-centered. The second one, we talked about covenant keeping. Today, we're going to talk about conflict. Come on, somebody, conflict. I know nobody deals with conflict. Uh, we're going to talk about conflict. And, and, you know, I love my wife. I'm so thankful for her. I'm so grateful for her. Anything that you see that's great in my life has been a byproduct of an incredible woman that God has given me. And uh, she has uh, been such an encouragement to me, helped me be the man that I am. And so I want to give, first off, give honor where honor's due. I love her so much. And um, she holds, holds a lot of things down for us. Yeah, and so we're, we're now moving into this idea of relationships, and we've been talking about this idea of how to have great relationships, and I think if you want to have great relationships, uh, you've got to be willing to work at it. Come on, how many know great relationships take work, and then you've also got to be willing to do it God's way. How many know God's way works? And, and so I actually, I want, to, I want us to look at this in Romans 12 today, and, and look at just kind of this first off thought, and that is... Let's look at how the world does things, and let's look at how God think, does things. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. I mean, what the world says about relationships just doesn't work. Uh, you can pick up a Cosmopolitan magazine, but it ain't going to help you. Um, it, it's just not going to help you when it comes to your relationships. There, God's way is the way that it, 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 that it is designed to work. But watch how it says this. Let God, everybody say that with me. Let God transform you. Transform you. Let God transform you into the new person by changing the way you think. Now watch. When you do that, then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And most people want the good, pleasing, perfect relationships. They just don't want to do the first part, which is to let God transform who? You. you let God transform you. And so, hey, today's message really is for us just to have the posture of God transform me. God change me, especially when we get into this relationship goal number three, which is conflict resolving. Conflict resolving. I'll talk a little bit about this. Now, just show of hands, honesty in the house here. How many of you had an argument, disagreement, or conflict with somebody, anybody, over the last month? Raise your hand. Just had something, an issue that went on. Okay, yeah, yeah. Everybody. How many of you within the last week? Raise your hand. Okay. Weekend. This weekend. Okay, all right. On the way to church. Okay, no, okay, so. Yeah, I mean, conflict is inevitable, Death is inevitable, taxes are inevitable, conflict is inevitable, we're going to face conflict in our lives, and so we want to learn how to do it God's way, because if it's going to be something that we're all going to face, then we want to make sure we do it right. And, and one of the things that I've learned over the course of the years is the quality of your life is determined by how you handle conflict. I'm going to say that again. The quality of your life is determined by how you handle conflict. Let me put it this way. If you don't handle conflict well, your life probably right now is not too good. Because how we handle conflict with our kids, with our spouse, with our boss, with our coworkers, with our friends, however you handle that conflict probably will determine what kind of quality of life that you have. And so we want to help you today 
uh, dive into how do we do this in a way, if you are going to have it, how do you do it in a way that honors God, honors one another, and it is conflict resolving. And so today, we want to start with three causes of conflict. Why do we even have conflict in the first place? And so if you're taking some notes, y'all got some notes when you walked in today? Okay, if you're taking some notes, and if you're joining us online, you can click the little take notes uh, icon and, and uh, take notes with us. And this is the first one. Three reasons why we have conflict. Number one, poor communication. Poor communication. It's one of the first things that comes up in most relationships is we are just terrible communicators. Can we disagree with that? We are terrible communicators. Uh, we don't know how to say things the right way. We don't know when's the right way to say it, the, the timing to say it, the tone to say it. All those things are wrong. We live in a society now that if you think it, you can say it. And, and, and we label speech under free speech. But how many know, anybody grew up where your mama said, if you don't have anything good to say? Oh, y'all grew up, y'all had my mama too? Okay, so, yeah, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. We grew up probably hearing that, but we serve a, a, live in a culture now that says, if you want to say it, say it. But how many know, that doesn't go too well. That doesn't fare too well in any relationships for you just to say whatever you want to say whenever you want to say it. And I think really a source of contention in relationships is oftentimes we just don't know how to communicate. You have learned communication usually from your parents or from your grandparents or from your uncles or from other people. We learn how to communicate over time, but we, it's a learned behavior. What I'm here to say is probably a lot of us have learned communication the wrong way. And, and so we haven't learned how to do it God's way. And so I want to give you a prayer today um, on how do we do communication, not poorly, but godly. What does godly communication look like? Well, one of the first things is to really ask God, God, is this something I should say? Is this something I should talk about? Is this something I should do? And here's a great prayer to pray. Ready? Here's a great prayer. You can put this on your, on your bathroom mirror if you want or in your car. Psalms 141 verse 3, set a guard over my what? Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now think about this. Any of y'all grew up in a home where your parents said, hey, shut the door. Were you raised in a barn? Man, see, we all had the same mom. I mean, it's amazing. Now, shut the door. This is what this means. When, when we read a verse like this, it says, keep watch over the door of my lips. You have the ability to close the door or keep it open. So think about a door on your mouth got a hinge. You get to determine if it's open or if it's closed. Now, some of y'all, right before you're about to say something, you need to physically do this. <laughs> I want to say that. <laughs> Create a door. And this is a great prayer to pray. This is what it's actually saying. God, before I say something to somebody else, can I first say it to you? And then God, if you say for me not to say it, I don't need to say it. Oftentimes, we are telling people things that we should be telling God first. And so, God, set a door over my mouth. God, guard my mouth. Set a door over my lips, God, and help me to be good in my communication. And so, that's the first one. But I want to get into the second one because I think Lindsay's got a lot of great things on this one. I'll let you lead the second one. Give us the second cause of conflict. Number two is unfulfilled expectations. And so, I think all, if not most of all of our anger towards this starts with here, our expectations. And it's, I wanted something and I didn't get it. And if 
uh, frustration is born when our expectations do not match our experiences. What we think we had should be, and that doesn't play out, and then that's where um, we get into trouble. And so if we go to Scripture in James, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot, you cannot have what you want. So what do we do? We quarrel and fight. So, but where do they come from? They come from within, what our own expectations were, what our own desires are. We may not kill, but we might have wanted to, but <laughs> over something not going the way we think. But we have to understand that it starts within us. And the problem with expectations is that they're usually one of four things. And number one, it's usually unconscious. Um, we're not even aware of them. Have you ever had something happen and you get upset and you're like, why, do, why was I even upset? We didn't even know that that was an expectation we even had. Uh, we're really complicated people, right? <laughs> I, I think I am, at least. And number two is unrealistic. Um, if you've ever, if you have kids or if you've ever seen Shrek, um, Princess Fiona, she had this image of what she thought her knight in shining armor would be and um, all these expectations that went around that. And when Shrek, you know, lifted up his, his helmet with the, uh, under the armor, that's definitely not what she was <laughs> expecting as her prince. And so we can sometimes have so many unrealistic expectations that can't happen. And then the third one is unspoken. I, if maybe I'm speaking from personal experience, I think this is the biggest one, definitely for me. Um, unspoken is we keep them in our heads, ladies, right? So you had an idea, just I'm making up a very hypothetical situation. Maybe you had an idea of what you thought how your night would go, your husband would come home, this would happen, A, B, C, and D, and none of that did. You know, you thought he would help you pick up the dishes and help with the kids, and you'd sit down and have this, you know, incredible talk family time, and none of that happened. And so you're going about your night, you know, and so your husband's like, oh, babe, how'd you enjoy your night? Well, I didn't, you know, A, B, I didn't have this happen, and you didn't help me with this, and you didn't do this, and so it all just comes out. But... Can he read? Can they read your minds? No. And you want to say, and I've said this before, if you loved me, you would see the needs. But he also can't read my mind, and I'm putting too much expectation on him. Hi, again, hypothetical. Uh, <laughs> so that was not acting. There was no acting in that one. It all, yeah, no, it, it wasn't. None at all. And uh, so we keep it in, and we don't say anything. When if we could have resolved or uh, not even had all this conflict, and it may not even work out of how we think in our heads, but at least we voice some, some opinions like, hey, babe, I would love if this would happen. Could you help? I think we would solve so much if we would say, could you help me with blank? But we don't want to because we want them to know, but they just can't. <laughs> so it could play out in so many different areas of how you think something should go. Um, with couples, with married couples with their sex lives, that could be a... Preach. That <laughs> you need to talk through things. There could be different expectations. So don't keep it in your head. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> Number four, unagreed upon. So the other person never even said yes to something. You just assume something in your head. Anybody have ever had that play out? So let's not assume. 
But the reason our, expect, our expectations are so high is because we are expecting from people something only God can give. We've placed mm. too much on that other friend, mm. that other best friend to be our everything, our spouse to be our everything, our moms or dads. Like we've, we've put too much on them that only God can, he's the only one that can fill us in that way. So. Yeah, and I think this applies in every relationship. Probably you've had this where... Maybe you had a mom that was mad at you and you didn't know why they were mad at you and you come to find out that they were mad at you because you didn't show up at their house for the holidays and they expected you to be there for the holidays and you weren't there at the holidays or maybe it was a boss who expected you to do something and didn't say that this is what they expected you to do or maybe you had some unrealistic expectations of what you thought marriage was going to be like and then it didn't plan out the way that you thought it was going to be or you thought you were going to go on vacation and, and everything was going to turn out like this. Ever been on a vacation where you had this mind of what you thought this vacation was going to look like and then you got on vacation it was nothing like you thought it was going to be like. And we have this play out in every scenario in our relationships. And I think it's so true because what we don't realize is the healthy way of this is actually the opposites of all these. So healthy expectations is it's conscious. It's realistic. It's spoken. And it's agreed upon. That we've, we've agreed upon whatever it is that we're making a decision on. And oftentimes anger, and I think even our sources of conflict, a lot of times usually come around one of these, these things. She wants me to do something that I didn't even know was supposed to be done. Or maybe we didn't agree upon something that was actually going to happen. Any of y'all seen this play out in your life? Just this, that you have these expectations that you put on people and they may not even know you have these expectations of them. And so unfulfilled expectations is a huge one. Here's another big one. Number three is despising differences. Despising differences. So not only are we poor communicators and not only we have unfulfilled expectations, but we have despising differences. Despising differences. You know, opposites attract oftentimes in the dating relationship. You know, you're like, oh my God, he's so laid back. He's so chill. It's just amazing. And, you know, the guy's like, oh man, she's so into details. I mean, she takes care of everything for me. It's so amazing. She cooks amazing. And then you get married, you don't realize that opposites attract when you're dating and opposites attack when you're married. <laughs> Is this not true? Because <laughs> you're like, oh, he's so laid back. And now you're like, he's a lazy bum. <laughs> I mean, all he does is sit around and do nothing. And then the guy was like, she's so detailed. She takes care of everything. And he's like, she's so controlling. She wants to do everything. And so you go, is this not true? And you have these differences of one's hot, one's cold. One wants the thermostat at this. Another one wants it at this. One saves, one spins. One wants to spank. One wants to, let's just give grace. I mean, one wants to be intimate. One just wants to cuddle. And so is this not true? It's just totally different personalities. And Lindsay and I are opposites in a lot of ways. There are very many similarities, but we are very different when it comes to decision-making. You know, she's um, emotional. I'm analytical. She is a thought processor, uh, uh, usually verbally. She wants to process verbally. I'm processing internally. I mean, it's just so many things that are different. And what drew us together at first now, if we're not careful, can be what drives us apart from one another because what we love about each other, we actually despise in each other now. And so we got to be careful with these uh, despising differences. And um, you want to speak to this? Definitely. <laughs> no. uh, oh, as really? he was saying, uh, I'm a processor, get to the heart. Josh is a questioner, rapid fire questioner to get to the facts. And so just to go back a little, um, different, very different. Uh, when we were dating, we would go to Outback a lot in Lafayette, and uh, I don't know if they still do, but they would have the hanging lights, and it was um, 
you know, just right over your table. And every single time he would put the light on me like this. And I would be like, stop. You know, I feel like I'm in a detective's office and it's like, where were you on the night of <laughs> December 14th? It's like, get that out of my face. <laughs> and so only if God only knew uh, that that was just a glimpse into my future. <laughs> Because it didn't happen when we were dating. Like he would say for me, you didn't eat that slow when we were dating. Yes, I did. Maybe I didn't notice this when we were dating because I was just so in love and, you know, still am, but didn't notice it. I was blinded. And so uh, he can, like I was saying, have rapid fire questions. And I feel like I'm in the interrogator's office still and like I'm on trial. And so um, they come quick. There's a lot of them. The tone is deeper. Um different. And so I want to say, I always feel like if you trust me, you would, un, you would trust me enough to know that I made this decision and I don't need the 75 questions that come with it. I see Josh's sister is smiling. Maybe she's experienced this. So she's in the crowd. Keep your head down, woman. Keep your head down. <laughs> so it, for example, with things like non-budget, things that are not in our regular budget, we talk about those purchases before we make them. And so like, but I feel like I have to make a 10 point, you know, my case a spreadsheet as to before I go talk to him of presenting my case. And I told him, I feel like when I have to do this, I need to, I'm going to present to the judge and I got to present my case because the questions are going to be coming very quickly. So I told him next time I have a question, I'm going to play this song. If you're old enough to know, we were joking about it. So next time I have a, a question, I'm going to come play the people's court. <laughs> what you're seeing now is a real case and so whatever they would say. So that's the funny part of it, but I don't love it all the time or every time, but um, our differences is what makes us a great team. And it's not wrong, but different. He processes and thinks in a different way than me. And would I would love for him to process it and think in the way I do? Absolutely, but that's not how God made us. And to appreciate when it's directed at me that I love that because I honestly think so many times he's saved us from so many decisions because he's asked a lot of questions and he's thought through. He's a great administrator and, and things with his job. I think he's thought through things that other people won't think of or to get the process done. He has to. So our differences can actually bring us together and make us a great team. And just in case of like with Joel, our youngest son and medical needs, like I do the day-to-day, -day. I make all the doctor's phone calls, I remember the medicines, but he does the big things like when he need, would need to be stuck for needles um, every few weeks. I had to do it and I don't love it, but he could do it and no big deal. And he could see about the, in, we, we work together in intense situations and he takes the lead. So it's different and it's not wrong. And in Mark 3.25, it says, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And we can be different, but we can still be united. But if we're divided, we definitely can't be united. Mm. So we just want to mm. have a perspective on our differences. And I think about, I mean, you think about the greatest teams. What makes an incredible football team is not that they have 12 guys that are 300 pounds. They have five guys on the line that are 300 pounds. They got a really small, fast guy in the back. They got a really agile quarterback. They got these really tall, wide receivers. So the fact of what makes a great team is that there's all these differences. And I'm going to tell you right now, what makes a great marriage is there's differences. What makes great relationships is there's different. Hey, in our marriage, they don't, we don't need two Joshes. <laughs> One's enough. 
Um, one is enough. And, and that's even the beauty of our church. I mean, look around our church right now. You got different ages, differences. That's a great thing. Different ethnicities, great thing. Different everything that we look, socioeconomic, all this stuff is different. How many know if we have differing things, how many know it makes a great team? It makes a great team, it makes a great church. And so instead of devaluing somebody that looks different than you, why don't we appreciate that and say, you know what, they bring something to the table that we need. And so uh, differences are a huge thing. Uh, let's, let's switch gears a little bit here. And, and I think, of course, you know, the, the really bottom line of why we've have conflict is just sin. I mean, we're just sinful people. Um, really, that's at the, the heart of all of this is, you know, we struggle with sin. So whether it's poor communicating or unfulfilled, unmet expectations, or it's the despising differences, it's really just this idea of, I didn't get what I want, and I'm, we're struggling through this, we're wrestling through this, and so I think sin is a big deal. Um, but let, let's talk about uh, this idea of four ways to deal with conflict, because this is so vital really when it comes to handling conflict is because there's three ways that are the wrong way, but I think we've been groomed and grown on how to do it these three ways instead of the fourth way. And I want to just go ahead and highlight what those three are, and you can determine where you're at in these three. So let me give you the first one. The first one on how you handle conflict is when you're in the middle of the conflict. Number one is my way. It's my way. You're doing it my way. Any of y'all grew up in a house where your parents said, you're doing it because I man, we have the same parents. I mean, this is crazy. Yeah, because I said so. I said so. And that's okay. You know, there's times where, I mean, I've done that with my boys. Hey, I don't have time to explain it all. It's just, I said so. I'm the dad. This is what it is. But if you rule with an iron fist, like I'm the dad, I'm the king, you're just doing what I say, or hey, we're just doing this. It's just me. It's just my thing. How many know that's, that's not a leadership, that's dictatorship. And so my way is not always the best way to handle conflict. So what we do is we jump from my way and we go to the second one, which is your way, your way. And oftentimes men actually who are very um, authoritarian and go, hey, I'm gonna, we, we're doing it this way, you'll have a wife who goes the opposite and says, okay, I'll just, to keep the peace, I'll just, let's just do what you want. Let's just, I'm not going to say anything. Let's just do what you want. You know what? I'm just trying to keep, I'm just trying to keep the peace. I'm just trying to be, you know, wouldn't Jesus want us to keep the peace? There's a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking because what ends up happening, if you don't say anything, you'll grow up in a marriage where you're resentful actually to your husband and, and you grow bitter. You grow bitter towards your, maybe your parents, or you grow bitter towards whoever it is because you're the one who's always, yes, just whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want, and you think that's actually the right way. That's not the right way because maybe your advice and your opinion does matter and should be said. And so it's not my way, and it's not your way, so then people go to the third one. They think, okay, well, this has got to be the one, and that's halfway so we'll do 50% of what I want to do, and we'll do 50% of what you want to do, and here's the problem. You'll be mad 50% of the time. Is this not true? So you'll just be mad the 50% where you got to give up whatever you don't want to do. And so there's that way, and that way is not really right either, even though there is give and take to preferring one another, which actually ultimately leads to the fourth one, which is the most important. And, and so we go from halfway to God's way. Now, how many of you would agree in here that those who have done it God's way, that way works? God's way works. That I first go to him and let him do a work in me. When it's in the middle of a conflict moment, I don't just go, it's just my way or it's just your way or, hey, it's just halfway. It's, you know, let's go to God's word and see what he has to say. 
Which brings me to this story in Ecclesiastes, and I, I want us to direct us to this, and, and I, I want to set up a little framework for conflict, because there are a couple ways that you can handle it that can go either really great or can go really bad. Yet again, this can apply to your job, this can apply to your marriage, this can apply to your friendships, this can apply to your relationship with your mother. That there are ways that you can handle it that are God's ways and ways that you can handle it that's your way. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is a, is a very familiar passage where Solomon is talking about that there's a time and season for everything. There's a time to, to plant, a time to harvest, a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to dance, a time to mourn. You, you've probably read some of those things. Um, but he says this, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And then watch this. In verse 5 he says, there's a time to scatter stones and then there's a time to gather stones. Now most of us probably look over that You'd, you'd read through that real quickly and be like, I don't know what's going on here. What's up with the stones? What you don't realize is actually he's speaking to something that actually happens in the Old Testament, which is in the Old Testament, there was times to, um, that when there was conflict, that they could actually stone the people. Like, do you all know, like in the Old Testament, like if children disobeyed their parents, the children could be stoned. We, do we need to bring that one back? I mean, I'm saying no. <laughs> This, um, I've threatened my boys. And so, yeah, we're not going OT. Thank God we're not in OT anymore. But scattering stones is this idea that when I'm in conflict, that I can, I can literally hurl stones at the person that I'm mad at. Or I can go God's way, which is that, that I gather stones that the same stones that they would use to kill people, watch this, was the same stones that they would gather to build altars. Think about that. The same stones that they would use to crush the head of somebody was the exact same stones that they would gather and they would put around and they would build an altar that would welcome the presence of God to create offerings unto the Lord. So this is what he's saying, ready? When you're in the midst of a conflict, you have two options. Your way, which is to take that stone and beat someone over the head with it, or God's way and build an altar that says, God, I invite you into this moment. God, I need you. Two totally different responses. And this actually comes from a story in the Old Testament. And you actually, you'll see stones. If you've been reading the Old Testament, maybe if you do a one-year Bible reading plan and go through Genesis, Exodus, you'll see this importance of them gathering stones and creating these, these monuments and these places of memory. But there's one moment in uh, G Genesis where it's a story of Jacob. Jacob is uh, in love with a woman named Rachel. Rachel, the Bible says she's a beautiful woman. Jacob goes to Rachel's father, Laban, and says, I would like to marry your daughter. And so it was customary in those days for a man to give a dowry of some form, to, to give a, some kind of payment for a, for a bride. And he says, hey, this is what I would like you to do. I want you to work for me for seven years. And then at the end of seven years, I'll give you, I'll give you Rachel. Deal. She's beautiful enough. I want, I, I want her as my wife. I am willing to do that. So he works for Laban for seven years. Wedding day comes. They have an incredible wedding. And wedding night comes. And Laban switches his youngest daughter, Rachel, for his oldest daughter, Leah. And Jacob sleeps with Leah that night. And the Bible says that he doesn't realize it until he wakes up the next morning. Which, I don't know what kind of party that was. But anyways... <laughs> Oh, wait, who are you? <laughs> Leah, what are you doing here? Uh, and so he wakes up and he realizes this is not, this isn't Rachel. So he goes to Laban. And can you imagine how, how much that relationship conflict is in that moment? 
What did you do? And in that moment, Laban says, well, listen, I couldn't give you my youngest daughter before my first daughter. My first daughter needed to be married first, and so I gave it to my, and he was like, I want Rachel. He says, well, I guess I'll tell you what, if you want Rachel, just work for me another seven years. He commits to that. He says, okay, I'll do that. It ends up going another seven years, and Laban's still deceptive and does a lot of things. uh, Jacob ends up working for Laban 20 years for one woman. He gets into his 20th year, and he's had enough. He's just done with this. I'm sick and tired of Laban's games. He tells Rachel, he tells Leah, y'all both my wives now. (laughs) Y'all all all coming. And he grabs all of his animals, all of his people, all of his children, all of his wives, and they take off in the middle of the night. Laban wakes up in the morning and finds out, hey, where's, where's Jacob at? Where's Rachel, Leah? Oh, you didn't hear? They jetted out. And he is mad as a hornet. So the Bible says that he runs after Jacob. Now, where we catch up in the verse that I'm about to read, Jacob finds out that his father-in-law is on his tail. And so Jacob has a decision to make of, oh no, I made my father-in-law mad and he's coming after me. Watch the verse. So Jacob says to his relatives in Genesis 31, 46, gather somewhat gather some stones. And I'm thinking, if you're reading this story, I'm thinking, oh, it's about to go down. Okay. I mean, it's about to get good. I mean, we're about to have a stoning party and that different than today's kind of stoning party, but we're going to have one of those parties. And, and watch what he does is instead of building us, grabbing stones and gathering stones to scatter, it says, so they took stones and they piled them in a heap and they ate there by the heap. Instead of building, grabbing stones to stone, he gathered stones to build an altar, to build a place for their family to bring some resolution. What I'm saying is, is that before you can address conflict with, one, uh, with another person, you need to first invite God into this part. You need to first ask God, God, what are you trying to do in me? And some of you right now have been so trapped in your conflict because you've said this word, I can't do this until they do, and you fill in the blank, until they apologize, until they say they're sorry, until they admit what they did. I can't, and I'm here to tell you today, you can make conflict right if you will first just go, God, deal with me first. God, what is it that's in me? God, help me be all that you've called me to be. And, and so I'll give you this, conflict cannot continue without my participation. Conflict cannot continue without my participation. You want to add into that? I do. I have, uh, going back to the rapid fire investigator, interrogator situation that I faced. Why we got to keep going back? Because it, (laughs) just wait. No. um, So going back to that, um, just a quick backstory from a birthday. I got in this new coffee pot. Uh, Before that, I was using, you know, a French press, and you have to do all the little things. And someone, one of my friends, told me about this great coffee pot that mimics a pour-over, but it does it all itself, and you just, you could even wake up to coffee just, you know, brewed. So I'm enjoying my new pot, loving it. And the other day, I was washing the, um, I never know how to say the correct name of it, but the glass pot, and I cracked it, the top, and I'm like, no. And of course, because it's a newer probably coffee machine, the, it's not on Amazon, so you have to order it from Cuisinart and go through, okay, whatever. A week later, I get my pot back in, and I got a stainless steel one this time, so I don't break it again. And um, 
it didn't come with a lid, and it's a different lid than the glass lid, you know, and so I can't, still can't make my coffee, still waiting on this other part to come in. Well, when we were talking about it, it came in, we're in the kitchen, and Josh is like, here we go. So the light gets on me. Well, I thought, you know, you, let, you did your French press, and I thought it was the best thing ever, and why is it different? Why do you need to change? And like, whoa, 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 like, I want to be like, can't you just trust that I made a different decision, and this is better, and I get immediate, and if I'm being honest, I get immediately defensive. Because um, the tone, I feel like the tone coming at me is uh, rougher, and so I immediately want to jump to, you know, on my case too, and defend myself and all my questions instead of realizing that's just how, I know that's how he is, but for so long I've like wanted him to change that. You know, God let him, because I'd say, please stop interrogating me, please stop all the time. I have said that often. But the next morning I was downstairs before anybody was awake and um, I was opening the refrigerator. Like I even remember the exact moment and God was like, what if you, when he asks you his questions, you change your tone and you don't get upset and you don't get defense, defensive? And it's so easy and doing that is actually difficult, but it was just such a, it's embarrassing to say almost 16 years later of saying, God, stop making him be an interrogator, that I can change and that I can, you know, be the one to do the work. And so with any relationship that you're in, you don't have to wait on the other person, like he was saying, to decide to change. You can say, God, change me. And I know you might have come to church today thinking you're hearing about conflict and we're going to say like, you know, God can, you can do, God can change the other person. But it's actually us saying to God, God, change me. Do that work in me. And I think that's where um, things can start to change. Yeah, that's good, man. The Let's, let's switch gears here, and, and we want to add some practicality to this in regards to what does the Bible have to say when it comes to being conflict-resolving? How do we do this in a, well, in a way that actually honors God and can bring reconciliation? And so um, if you're taking some notes, I want you to just write this down. It's, the first thing is we've got we've to be willing to act and not uh, react. I've got to act and not react and kind of just like what Lindsay said. I mean, you can't control what people do, but you can control how you respond. And so people are going to say things, people are going to do things, and even in the way that I did that with her, it wasn't the best on my end, um, but she can control how she responds, I can control how I respond, and I think a part of that is developing a pre-fight plan. Like, you should have a plan. In, you know conflict is coming. Why don't you just go ahead and build in a pre-fight plan? When we fight, this is what we're going to do, and this is what we're not going to do. And so actually, Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians kind of a, a little bit of a pre-fight plan for us. He said in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, don't sin. Now watch, here's the pre-fight plan. Don't let the sun go down while you're what? Still angry. Don't let the sun go down, you're angry. So what's the pre-fight plan? We're not going to bed mad. Now we'll be up for three days, but we ain't going to bed mad. <laughs> Can we go to bed? Just resolve it. I promise you, if you like sleep, you'll deal with it. <laughs> If we go ahead and put a pre-fight plan in of we're not going to bed mad, and, and, and here's why he says, though, you, you, you need to do that because if you don't, you don't want to give the devil a foothold. You don't want to give the devil a foothold. So, so we went ahead and just listed out some things to help you 
develop a pre-fight plan. You don't have to use all these, but we want to just give you, they're not in your notes, they're just extra stuff here. But just a couple things, if you want to kind of build out a pre-fight plan, here's some things that will maybe help you out. You want to give the first one? Yes, never put it off. Don't wait longer. Like, deal with the things immediately and as quick as you can instead of waiting. I heard somebody say, I think, I don't, I don't know if it was Pastor Jacob or someone said this, um, they said maturity is the time it takes between when you sin and when you make it right. Maturity is the time that you sin and between the distance between when you sin and when you make it right. If you sin and it takes you four days to finally say you're sorry, that's how mature you are. If you sin and you move that closer and closer and go, okay, I'm sorry, the closer we get it reveals how mature you are. I thought that was a great way to, to put it. The other thing is never call names. Never call names. And this is, this is huge. And, and this even applies like as parents watching what we say over our children. and Because uh, how many you know people become what you call them? People will become what you call them. And um, I grew up in a home with um, loud voices and getting yelling to get your point across. So in all honesty, this is something that um, I have to always be aware of and watch out for. Uh, never raise your voice. Harsh words stir up anger. And I, if, if it was, it's if automatic for you, it, it comes out quick. But um, we've been in conflict before and he's like I'm right here why are you yelling and it's just so true like it, for me it's like if I feel like my point's not getting across I need to get louder for you to hear me even though you're standing right next <laughs> to me so it doesn't even make sense so who grew up in a home like that who grew up in a yeah yeah and actually if you wanted yourself to be heard you had to be louder than the other person yeah yeah uh here's the other one never get historical all the women laughed. And so, <laughs> uh, never be historical, meaning I don't bring up the past. I don't bring up all the stuff that, that always keeps happening. Here's really why. Let me tell you why. How many of you thankful Jesus doesn't keep bringing up your past? Can I get an amen on that one? So listen, let's not bring up our spouse's past if Jesus doesn't bring up ours. Next one. Never threaten divorce. Like, nope. it's not on the table. Don't even say that. Don't let your kids hear you say that. Just don't even go there. Um, it's just not, not a good thing. And then let me give you other one. Never say never or always. Uh, those are huge pl things there. Be careful of saying those words all the time because that doesn't happen. And then um, I added the last one, which was uh, never quote your pastor. Um, that's not good either. <laughs> Leave us out of it, okay? So we don't need to be in the middle of whatever that is. Let me give you number two here. I'm going to focus on the good things in you. You want to share on that one? Yes. Uh, for about maybe six to eight months, we've had three faucets that leak regularly, and you have to like just get the handle just right where it won't drip. But the other night and into the morning, even I had tried and tried to get it, and Josh wasn't there, and it just kept dripping. And if you've ever been around that, isn't it like, horrible. It's the most annoying thing. So it was like really a revelation to me of Proverbs 27, one, when it says a nagging woman is like a dripping faucet. And so I know men can, you know, do this too, but I'm like, I just don't want to be like that because it was so awful. But when we're <laughs> constantly criticizing, nagging and complaining, and focusing on all the things that are wrong, we're being like that. Mm. And so, uh, Philippians four, eight, the opposite 
uh, Philippians says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It doesn't say think on everything that is wrong. Think on nothing that is right. Think on everything they're doing that you wish was better. Um, it says calling out the, the good things. And so I think it's about our perspective and reframing how we see things. We want it a certain way sometimes. And when it's not like that, here's those expectations again. And we get so frustrated and we just like, I don't know, do we think by saying it over and over that it's going to make someone want to change? That's not what causes, you know, things to change. It's reframing our perspective. And so maybe that friend isn't where they should be in their life. And maybe that husband or wife isn't where they should be. But there are some of the good things you can speak to them. And if there isn't, then you can speak in faith and be like, God, I pray that I see this, that this will become real in them. And God, you will work in them. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's taking out the negative. And if we only point out the negative, we're going to be miserable, and we're making everybody else around us absolutely miserable, like the drip when you're trying to sleep. That won't stop. It's <laughs> good work. Number three, I'm going to apply God's grace to you. I'm going to apply God's grace to you when I'm in the midst of a conflict. I just need to understand that I can apply God's grace to you. Uh, Romans 12 says, don't take revenge. Just underline that one. Don't take revenge. Because everything within us wants to be tooth for tooth, eye for eye. You did it to me. I'm going to do it to you. You said that about me. I'm going to say that about you. It says, my dear friends, leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. And I love this. He says, on the contrary, so here's something not to do. Don't, don't feel like you've got to defend yourself. How many know God's way better at defending you than you are? So don't feel like you've got to defend yourself. On the contrary, here's the, here's the contrary. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. It's amazing how much grace we receive and how little we give. That we come into a room like this and ask God, God, give me your grace and your favor, and God, forgiveness, 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 and then we walk out of this place, and we won't give to people what we've just asked God for for ourselves. And so we want to apply God's grace to other people. So, so let me give you a different maybe perspective Tomorrow, when you got that coworker that's just, mm, thank you, Jesus, for this person, and they're just, they're just that, and maybe they're just saying stuff to you, and it's just constantly negative or constantly critical or constantly, you should tell them, oh, you're in for it. You know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to bless you, and then buy them something. Take them to lunch. Speak something nice over them. Like, do the opposite of what you want to do, because here's the expectation. They expect you to be harsh and bring harshness to them. What if you brought kindness instead of harshness? What if your spouse expected you to be harsh back to them, and instead you were kind back to them? See, we don't give people what they deserve. We give people what they, should, what they need. And we've talked about this kind of in this whole series over the past couple of weeks is this idea that love is not giving people what they deserve. It's giving people what they need. And so when you're in conflict with people and it's just tense moments, it's time for us to step back and go, God, what are you trying to do in me? And God, whatever you're trying to do in me, God, I pray that I can give that to other people, which leads to number four, which is not only do I want to play God, apply God's grace to you, I also want to remember God's grace to me. 
Moms in here, you ever felt like at night, or dads, you put your kids into bed and you're like, today was parent fail day. Like, I just blew it today. Said some things I shouldn't have said, maybe raised my voice, maybe got frustrated, got whatever. I mean, we, we have these often. And here's the, here's the thing that you've got to remember is that, that every time you feel like an utter failure, you feel like, man, I just blew that, is just to remember the Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. God's grace is new every morning. Listen, if you blew it last night, or maybe you blew it this morning on the way to church, is just to remember that God's grace is here. You can't do any of this without God. Does everybody hear me on that? You can't do any of this without God. And I pray that for us, here, here's my prayer. My prayer is that God would help us be more concerned with reconciling than being right. I pray that we would be more concerned about winning the person than winning the argument. How many of you know you can win an argument and still lose? Any of you ever had that? Like you walked out of that fight and you're like, I won, but you know that you really lost? And so my prayer is, God, may I not win the argument and lose the heart. May I not win this and yet lose the person. God, help me to respond in such a way with how you respond to me. So Father, right now, God, we invite you in this moment, God, to come do a deep work in us first. Us first. God, that we know that we can't control what people say, we can't control what people do, but we can control how we respond. And God, if we have responded in ways that are not honoring to you and to the person, God, we repent today. God, we repent today. We invite you in this moment, God, to come and help us to deal with conflict in a way that brings you into the middle of it. God, that as Jacob in the midst of a fight with Laban, instead of gathering stones to throw, he gathered stones to build an altar, to gather around as a family and to invite you into that moment. God, right here in this moment, we invite you to come and investigate our hearts. I want you to think about maybe just a, 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 an area or a conversation or maybe a conflict that happened this, maybe this weekend, maybe this week, maybe this month. Maybe it's been an ongoing one for years. Would you just right now just invite God into that moment? And Holy Spirit, would you just reveal anything in us that maybe we haven't handled well? Or maybe it's been the way that we've communicated. Maybe we've put expectations on people that's not even right. God, maybe it's just someone views it differently than us and we just don't like that. God, however that is, it's putting us at the center of it. And if there's anything we're, we're praying for in this series and beyond is that we would be Christ-centered people. That you would be at the center of our relationships. So God, today I pray, Lord, that you would reconcile and heal. And God, I pray, Lord, that even out, out of this time together, that God, maybe people would leave this room and maybe have a conversation that they've need, been needing to have for a long time. God, maybe just owning our parts. But God, our prayer today is change me. God, change me. With all heads bowed, 
If you're here in this room and you say, man, Pastor Josh, you know what? I'm frustrated right now, but it's not even just with someone else. You know what, really? I think I feel a frustration between me and God. You know, Jesus came to earth to settle the conflict between you and God. Sin separates us from God, creates a barrier between us. Jesus came and he lived a life so he could bring us back into relationship with the Father. That he could take our sin, our shame, our guilt. And he could not only cleanse us from all those things, but now he makes us right. And the Bible says that if we will confess our sins to one another, we'll find healing. But if we confess our sins to God, he brings forgiveness. If you're here in this room and you say, you know what, there's some conflict there. I I, want to pray over you that we could restore, that God could come in and restore his, first off, his relationship with you so that you can now restore those relationships with other people. If you're here in this room and you've never been born again, meaning that you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, you have not admitted that you're a sinner, that you have believed that Jesus died on the cross, that you have not confessed your sins and made him Lord of your life. If that's you in this room, we want to pray for you. On the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand up and say, that's me, one, two, three. If that's you all across this room, if there's anybody in here, thank you right there, man. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? Awesome. Now we're just going to pray this together. And I want us to pray, come on, as a church family, we'll just again today resurrender our hearts to the Lord. We say, Jesus, I confess you as Lord of my life. Thank you for coming and taking my sin, my shame, and my guilt. And you died for me. And you rose again to give me a purpose on earth a relationship with the Father, and a place in heaven. Today, I turn my life over to you. Have your way in Jesus' name. And everyone said...